0: Welcome to the Fatherly Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua David Stein. This week, we're going to try something new. Since I joined Fatherly almost a year ago, I've asked every notable father I've met a series of 20 or so questions we developed called the Fatherly Questionnaire. We came up with the questions because we wanted to create a sizable sample of how dads are dads across time. Some interesting trends have emerged. For instance, one of the questions is, what is your biggest regret as a father? And almost without fail, the answer is that they don't spend enough time at home. There are two questions back-to-back that have been, I think, the most revealing. They are, describe yourself as a father in three words, followed by, describe your father as a father in three words. Often, though not always, the second set of three are direct opposites from the first. It's a revealing moment that frequently catches guests and me off guard. Anyway, this week on the podcast, I've chosen three of my favorites. You'll hear from NFL legend Michael Strahan, who was the first questionnaire I ever did way back in June, the Emmy Award-winning actor Sterling K. Brown from the hit show This Is Us, and finally Stephen Chbosky, who wrote one of my favorite books growing up, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, and recently directed the new film Wonder, starring Julia Roberts.
1: Welcome to the Flowery Podcast. My name is Joshua David Stein. I hope you enjoy the show.
0: I'm old enough to remember the old Michael Strahan, fearsome defensive end for the New York Giants. Specifically, 2007 Michael Strahan, when he led my beloved Giants over the villainous and then undefeated New England Patriots for the Super Bowl. But you'd be forgiven for just knowing him as a good-natured, always-smiling, omnipresent host on daytime television. After Regis Philbin retired in 2012, Strahan stepped in with Kelly Ripa for Live with Kelly and Michael. After four years, he moved on to Good Morning America, and he's also the host of the $100,000 Pyramid. He just always seems to be on television somewhere. This was the first questionnaire I ever did, and I was really surprised how deep he went and how freely he spoke about his own upbringing as a military brat and the challenges of raising four children as a divorced father. We spoke from atop the Carlisle Hotel, where he was shooting a campaign for a collection by Michael Strahan, a line of boys and men's clothing he designed for JCPenney. Naturally. It's going to start off really basic. Okay. What is your name? Michael Strahan. Occupation? Retired
2: with too many jobs. Age? 45. Um, How old are your children? Oh boy, 25, 22, and twins that are 12. Um, What are the names? Tanita, Michael, Isabella, and Sophia. Are they named after anyone
0: in particular?
2: Um, Tanita, no, Michael's after me, Isabella and Sophia, their middle names are their grandmother's middle names, so it's Marie and Louise.
0: Do you have any nicknames for your kids?
2: No, not really. No, I don't. Do Iz- Izzy, Isabella, they don't only call it Izzy. Okay. But other than that, no, everybody goes by their name. I guess um, maybe because I was called so many nicknames that I didn't like growing up that I keep my kids away from them. <laughs> well, what did they call you? Um, Bob. Bob? Yeah. Why? It meant booty on back. I was, a, <laughs> I, was a, I was a husky child. No,
0: no, no, no. What are your kids <laughs> calling? you? <laughs> what did they call me? Oh, baby, oh. when I was a
2: kid. They called me Dad.
0: They called me Dad. Yeah, they
2: called me Dad. I And I love that. I'm... I don't know, I'm not one of those kind, of like my dad, I say dad, I still say yes sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, no sir. And my kids call me dad, so it's not that, we're not on a first name basis. <laughs> um,
0: how often do you see them?
2: All the time, they're here now, my twins are here now. My oldest two are in Texas, my son just graduated college last month, he's going back for another year, get another degree in communication, so he's going to come out and, and work for me this summer. Uh, my my daughter, she's in Houston. She's an artist and also in, like, Advanced Art Program. And my twins are here in New York City now, and we're taking a family trip to South Africa at the end of this month.
0: Describe yourself as a father in three words.
2: Fun, understanding, and authority figure. That's two words.
0: We can hyphen it. Yeah, please do. Um, Describe your your own father in three words.
2: Caring, inclusive, and military. But not military in a bad way. He's in the military, so it was like, it wasn't like a military, like, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. But he was a very structured man. And and not structured in a sense that he's not understanding, but structured in a sense that he woke up, he was a soldier, you know. He did what he had to do, but he wouldn't take trips if his kids couldn't go. Um, we, he and I used to go to Spain every year to go fishing, and so he's very inclusive in that way, and and very like understanding, relatable. You could talk to my, I could talk to my dad about all these crazy things.
0: Where did you guys go fishing?
2: Um, in Lake Caspi, out in Spain. So I grew up in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to go every year. We had a camper. I wasn't old enough to drive, so he had to drive the entire way. It's crazy, but great memories, great pictures to this day.
0: What would you say your strengths are as a father?
2: I think being an example is definitely a strength. Uh, I think understanding my kids and not and being open, open and and to to them and their knowledge and just trying to learn from them as much as they try to learn from me, but also be an example in a way that. You know, I can tell you about hard work, but if I can't show you, then it's a totally different thing. I can tell you about compassion and understanding, but if I can't show you, then you you don't get it. So to, like, be there and show them all those things that I tell them are important values of the human being that I'm able to actually show them and give them. And I think um, that's a good thing. That's a great thing.
0: What would you say some of your weaknesses are as a father?
2: I think probably the weakness, my my biggest weakness is that I wish I had more time sometimes, but we spend as much time as possible together and have great relationships. And other than that, I'm pretty damn good.
0: (laughs) What is your favorite activity to do with your children in the sense of like, oh yeah, that's this thing I do with dad.
2: Travel. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah.
2: Like see the world. I think that that's, That's awesome. That lets them know that the world is bigger than the community that they live in. And and that, and I think um, my twins love cars. My son loves cars. The 12-year-old. Yeah, the 12-year-old girls, they love cars. They love to hop in and put the top down and let the wind blow on their hair and argue over who sits in the front seat. And my son, he he does as well, so it's kind of um, a little way of bonding.
0: What has been the moment that you were most proud as a father?
2: Hmm. Moment most proud. Well, I'm my when my daughter graduated from college, and now for my son to graduate from col to graduate from college, and then for the twins just to see them. Um, they're they're big into like I said equestrian. So I know how hard they work at it, mm-hmm. and uh, to see them have their medals at the end of their weekend of jumping, and know how hard they work work at it. it better feeling for me to see them with that than it was for me to win the Super Bowl or do anything else. The moment I'm most proud of my daughter was when she graduated from college and she had some jobs set up here in New York. And she calls me and she goes, Dad, I don't think I'm ready for New York. And I can only imagine how much strength it took for her to tell me that. Mm -hmm. And I think back and that's like made me really proud of her.
0: What heirloom did your father give to you that
2: you really value? I have this picture of my father, it's just a very simple picture of my father back in 1961, like 10 years before I was born. And it's him as a boxer. It's an old black and white photo and he had it blown up and he signed it. Gene Strahan, France, 1961 when he was in the military. He's an all army boxer. And, um, you know, far other heirlooms of a watch or anything like that. My dad's still living. He's 80. I, I'm not getting that anytime <laughs> soon, according to him. <laughs> I'll settle for that blown-up photo yeah. that he signed for me. But that's really the one thing that, that's special to me.
0: Yeah. Um, what heirloom do you want to leave your
2: children? You know, we you have, you have four kids. It's, it's kind of hard to figure that out. But at this point in my life, I did have to do a will. And you're doing it, and you're trying to figure out what each kid would really, really um, you want want to give them. and I, I think for me, outside of like personal effects of family and different things like that, I think Super Bowl ring, Hall of Fame ring, um, more so who gets than the Super Bowl ring Who gets my son, he gets that. but Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. I think the twins get this twins get to split that one. They they that that's big enough for two. And but then my oldest daughter, those things. I was just saying earlier that the youngest three went to the Super Bowl this year. The oldest one, she's like, ah, get the yeah. ticket to somebody who really would appreciate it. I don't really care Jeez. to go. It's it's like all these things really don't matter. You realize that your kids' interests could be so different from yours. That for me, I just want them to have those small things that meant a lot for me. But I don't, want, I don't want to, you know, this is the house, and these are the cars. And right. it, I, that just bogs you down. I want them to have a fresh, clean, here, here you go, right. and you start off anew. But you have that one little keepsake, which for me are these rings, um, and and maybe a few other little personal effects I got over the course of my life for them, and not not anything big that's going to bog them down.
0: Describe the dad special for dinner. Like when you're making dinner, what's a dad special? Oh, man.
2: Um, take out. but i'm a breakfast guy so i'm a bacon like perfection bacon
0: what's your bacon secret
2: um patience you don't just throw it in a hot pan let that thing then thing you know it's droopy and all that stuff i like it so that it is crisp enough but it's still flavorful and juicy and yeah i'm a bacon lover
0: um are you religious and are you raising your children in that tradition? Well, I, I you know, my dad was
2: a, a pastor in Germany, and I'm religious. I can't say that I'm in church every Sunday. But when I play football every Sunday, I definitely was at our chapel service. And now I'm I'm working every Sunday at Fox NFL Sunday. So it's kind of out, out the window in that regard. But I am a guy who does have faith. I am someone who reads my verses for the day, and I'm a believer and my kids are as well.
0: What's a mistake that you made growing up that you want your children not to repeat? <laughs>
2: Man, the one mistake I think I probably made that I wouldn't want my kids to repeat probably relationships. You know, when you're divorced and you think about you, know, you wanting to have your a family and have somebody, your kids there and everybody together for your whole life. That's not in my in my cards. That'd be it. Um,
0: how do you make sure your kids know you love them?
2: Tell them. Tell them. You show them, you tell them. I think time, spending time and actually being present is one of the most important things you can do. And you tell your kids, you don't be afraid to express that you love somebody. Yeah. And I think growing it was funny because my dad learned that later in life. And now I tell my you know, my dad's like, I love you, son. And at first it was weird to me. But it wasn't weird for me to tell my kids. It's not weird for me to, to to kiss my son or to kiss my daughters. But now my dad can't say it enough. And I'm glad because so when I, you were growing up, yeah, when growing up, he showed his love by just being your dad right? and you knew he loved you, but it wasn't going around. I love you, boy, you know, yeah. but now it's like that. And it's great because now I don't think there's going to be a regret of not being able to say it or hear it. Yeah. And, and so I make sure that my kids won't regret that. I flat out tell them.
0: Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with a fatherly questionnaire featuring Sterling K. Brown after a quick word from our sponsor, Hum by Verizon. The fatherly podcast is brought to you by Hum by Verizon. No one wants to be stranded on the side of the road, especially when you have little ones in the car. But since a road is an unpredictable place, it helps to have Hum by Verizon, the connected car system that assists and empowers drivers. Now you can check your car's health from your phone. And if you have questions, you can connect to a mechanic's hotline for expert, unbiased advice, and even get quotes on repairs. Need help on the road? Hum works with a nationwide network of mechanics and can send a tow truck out to your location. And if Hum detects a crash, it can automatically notify emergency services. It's a smart way to stay on top of your car's health and keep your family safer on the road. Get Hum and get where you're going. Learn more at hum.com. There's something about the actor Sterling K. Brown that makes you feel like he'd just be a really good dad. It's not paternalistic, it's tender and present. Brown, who just won his second Emmy for his role as Randall Pearson on NBC's This Is Us, has had his own share of fatherly heartbreak. His own dad, also named Sterling, passed away when the actor was 10 years old. In fact, Sterling K. Brown was known by his middle name, Kelby, until he was 16 sterling is a nod to his father now he has two children of his own we spoke by phone during the break of an award ceremony critic's choice which he won back in august i was struck by frankly how loving and open his answers were i think you will be too hi joshua how's it going everything
3: is lovely man about yourself
0: i can't complain at all so
3: glad to hear glad to hear you and me
0: both We have a questionnaire called the Fatherly Questionnaire, which is a series of questions about fatherhood, um, which I think is germane to you. You want to jump right into it? Let's
3: jump right in. Go for it, Joshua.
0: Okay. It starts off easy and gets emotionally loaded. Here we go. Here we go. What is your name?
3: Sterling Kelby Brown. Occupation? I am a thespian, also known as an (laughs) actor. Age? 41 years of age.
0: How old are your children?
3: My children are 6 and 22 months old. What are their names? My 6-year-old's name is Andrew, and my 22-month-old's name is Amari.
0: Are they named after anyone in particular?
3: My oldest, Andrew, is. I had a college friend named Andrew Jacob Dare, who passed away the year after we graduated from undergrad, and he is named after him.
0: Under what kind of circumstance?
3: Uh, it's still not 100% sure, but he was either pushed or fell or jumped from the fourth or fifth floor of the building where he worked.
0: Wow, well, I'm so sorry to hear that. Why, this isn't quite part of the questionnaire, but it is really interesting. Hmm. Why did you name your son after your friend?
3: Uh, He was one of the best people that I knew, and I have a very tight group of college friends. Um, There's six of us currently, and there should and would have been seven of us, and we've each individually been in one another's weddings. And we have now grown and have families together and connect as frequently as possible. And Andrew was supposed to be one of those people. And so I get a chance to keep him alive um,
0: through my son. Beautiful. Do you have any nicknames for your children?
3: Yeah, so Andrew's name is Andrew Jason Sterling Brown.
0: And lots, I lots, of, lots of good names?
3: He's got lots of good names. and If he wants to run for president one day, he's got options.
0: He's got all um, the good names.
3: He's got all good names, but I sometimes just call him AJB. Um, I, I throw I, like the Sterling is almost a parenthetical. Like my wife made me name him Sterling. And mm-hmm. I was like, I am just gonna name him Andrew Jason, um, but uh, so I call him AJB. And then the baby Amari, I really just call him Sweet Baby most of the time. I say, <laughs> Hey, Sweet Baby. Yeah, that's that's his nickname currently.
0: That sounds good. Yeah, I'm sure. He, yeah. I'm sure he won't love it in 20 years, but for now, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah.
3: 20 years later, it shall evolve <laughs> over time.
0: What do they call you?
3: They call me daddy. Every once in a while, the six-year-old says, dad, yeah. dad, dad. But mostly it's daddy. And then every once in a while, the baby, my sweet baby, will say, Sterling, Sterling. <laughs> Whoa. Because he's saying my name. He's like, hi, Sterling. I'm like, hi, baby. I see you. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's cool. We're, we're California living. It's, it, it works.
0: <laughs> How often do you see them? You
3: know, if it's a late night at work, they may be asleep by the time I get home, but I try to make it home in time to uh, get a chance to put them to bed.
0: So this is us films in L.A., right? So you see them quite often.
3: I get to see them all the time. Only the hiatus when I, is when I spent the most time away from them because I was on location in Vancouver and Atlanta um, working. For so that, Those were for Black Panther oh. and for uh, The Predator. Those were the toughest times. But when I'm on This Is Us, it's, you know, we got a regular schedule.
0: Describe yourself as a father in three words. Who
3: Growing. Um, man, I'm growing. I know I'm growing. Like, I, I don't have all the answers. So I'm growing. I am inquisitive. Uh, and I'm open. I'm open.
0: A good trifecta. Yeah. I know your uh, father passed away when you were 10. Correct. Th- this question is describe your father in three words. Awesome.
3: Funny. But even you can erase funny because my next one is even more all encompassing, which is unconditionally loving.
0: Yeah. You took, yeah. you started using his name at a certain yeah. point. When I was 16. So at 16, what was the precipitating moment that made you want to take your father's name? So
3: my dad's Sterling Brown Jr. and I'm Sterling Kelby Brown. And I always thought that when I was a little kid that Sterling was an adult name. And so my mom tells the story that I go to the first day of kindergarten and um, I said, mom, Sterling is eight letters and Kelby is five. So I'm just gonna go by Kelby because it's easier. And then when I turn 16, you can call me Sterling again.
0: You can add that Now it that's, what
3: I, that's, what, that's what she says. But I wind up, my father passed away when I was 10. And it had been a long time since I'd heard his name. And I was just, you know, I was in school. I think it was the summer before sophomore year. And I said, I just want to hear his name again. You know, it had been too long. And his presence had been gone long enough that I wanted something to reassert his presence in my life. So I just told everybody, I said, you know, call me Sterling. Some people made the transition. Some people didn't. But uh, then you, college was two years later, and then everybody just knew me as Sterling.
0: I think it's interesting, just in this quick chat, that you know, with you've kept your father's name alive with you, and now your your son, and you've also kept Andrew's name alive. So there's yeah. this power in having a name be spoken, and the name is crossing people's lips that those who have you know passed on keeps them in this world.
3: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Joshua. It, it gives me great joy. When people say my name, I get to hear his name, and when I say my son's name, I get to call back my friend. So I couldn't agree more.
0: What are your strengths as a father?
3: Let's see. I'm a fun dad. You know, most dads are good time Charlies, and moms are, <laughs> you know, trying to lay down the law. I, I lay down the law too, but I'm I'm a good time Charlie. I think I because I recognize I have as much to learn from these boys as they have to learn from me, if not more. That I like. A dialogue. My son will frequently hit me with pearls of wisdom that are way more profound than anything that I could say to him. So I like that we get a chance to learn and grow from one another together.
0: What are your weaknesses as a father?
3: Patience. Every every once in a while, the patience wears thin, uh, as most fathers and mothers I'm sure can relate to. So in those times in which uh, your children are testing you and they're testing their boundaries, it's it's good to remember those ujjayi breaths and just take, a, <laughs> take as many as you need so that you can proceed, uh, you know, purposefully and not reactively.
0: You got to sometimes you got to engage those bundas, you know?
3: Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. I know exactly. Clench. Clench.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite activity to do with your kids? And what I mean by that is like the special father and and father and in your case sons thing.
3: So, every once in a while my son and I have an opportunity to go play miniature golf. Um and for some reason he just absolutely adores it. And it's fun for me, he's basically playing hockey with a with a putter, <laughs> yeah. and I'm actually trying to like work on my putting technique. But we have so much fun together, and every once in a while, you see him focus and really try to do it, and it's like a perfect swing. And it's just like, not the swing itself that makes me proud, it's just his ability and his desire to focus in that moment to do something the right way. Every time we go, we have an absolute blast. We go to the movies, we go to the park, you know, We play soccer, et cetera. But the mini golf thing, having him these distilled moments of like, you know what? This is important. And when I put my mind to it, I can accomplish something. It's really nice to see as a dad.
0: Yeah. It leads into the next question, which is what has been the moment you were the most proud of as a parent and why? I don't know if it's that focusing in mini golf, but and now I guess we're talking more about your older son because Amari is still discovering his way in this world.
3: Yeah, so for Andrew, man, there's been a few moments that have been quite profound. He won a science award. He's in kindergarten, but he won a science award at school.
1: And Nailed he it. was
3: really just, you could see his chest just exploding. Like he was just about to pop out of his shirt because he felt <laughs> so proud in that moment. So that's, that's one. But I will say there's a moment when we were at soccer. And it wasn't, he's he's a good goal scorer. And so I don't give too many props for the goal scoring, although it's cool. But he ran somebody down who had sort of a breakaway. And the effort that he extended on the defensive side of the ball, and I don't even know if he stopped the goal or not. But he ran all the way to make the effort. I almost—I think I probably cried, and then I had to like wipe it away, so I didn't look like like some crazy emotional dad at soccer practice with a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-olds. But when I see that effort extended, n- nothing gets me going more than that.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of you know debris in the air around soccer fields of young kids because a lot of dads <laughs> are wiping stuff from their eyes.
3: I'm not the only one. It's nice to know.
0: Um. What heirloom did your father give to you, if any?
3: You know, it's it's interesting because there's a few things my dad left behind. He had uh, a ring that I had. And I say had because I think, well, I lost it. And I remember I was about 18 when I lost it and I was about to go to college and I really wanted to take it with me. I felt awful that it was the one thing Not the one thing. There's other things, but it was really important. He wore it all the time, and I used to look at that ring and be like, man, this ring is so shiny and so cool, um, and I don't have it anymore. So hopefully he forgives me. I think he does, but I wish I still had that ring.
0: What heirloom do you want to leave to your children?
3: That's interesting. I don't wear too many things. Maybe I'll get some things, but my grandfather left an uncle of mine a Rolex. Um, which was really a, a big thing for uh, an African-American man at that time to have a Rolex to leave behind to a son. So that was cool. So maybe something like that in, in due time. But
0: uh, Well, you also I have, hope- ai assume, a, a growing, but you have a collection of small golden statuettes.
3: I, I do have a few statues, which is true. And I will say this, one time Andrew, who's the only person cognizant to actually have – anything to say. He said, why do you win all the awards? <laughs> I don't have any awards. I said, buddy, do you want one of mine? He says, yeah. I said, okay, you can have one. And then he was instantaneously happy. So I think you hit the nail on the head. He'll hopefully have some trophies to, uh, to decorate his mantelpiece when he becomes an adult himself.
0: Describe the dad special for dinner.
3: <laughs> <laughs> the dad special is first of all if mom has made leftovers i can really kill i can kill some leftovers and for dessert it'll be cereal like uh granola with yogurt with uh chopped up uh dark chocolate and apples in it which he absolutely loves and oh, it's yeah. actually kind of healthy You're so fun my dad. wife doesn't yeah my wife doesn't get too mad at me but it's uh anything that's leftover or we we pick up the phone we order pizza we order burgers um, it, it involves a phone call. I cook, <laughs> but not food. My son will tell me, he said, Dad, you are the master of cooking food that doesn't require cooking. And to yeah. so that, I say namaste.
0: <laughs> are you religious and are you raising your children in that tradition?
3: I am spiritual. I grew up religious. I grew up Christian. And I sense, since then, I, I still believe in Christ. And I think that Jesus Christ led me to a relationship with God.
4: And as I get
3: older, I recognize the relationship with God supersedes the method to which you get there. And when I come in contact with people who bear good fruit, the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, I recognize them as simpatico. And it doesn't matter how they got there. We're on the same page. So I'm trying to raise my kids to bear good fruit. Uh, We go to a non-denominational church that welcomes all different religions. It's called Agape uh, International Spiritual Center. And uh, I do think that a strong foundation in spirituality, recognizing that we are all connected uh, to one another, is important, and that's something that I hope to pass along to, to both my boys.
0: What is a mistake you made growing up that you want to ensure your children do not repeat?
3: Good one. I got suspended from high school for five days for fighting. Um, and just for like a silly testosterone infused, somebody was talking crap about you. So you went to go beat them up. And I hope that I'm able to illustrate for my children that violence is never an answer to anything and that you must use your words. Something that we repeat quite frequently. Use your
0: words.: How do you make sure your children uh, know you love them?
3: I say it as much as possible. I say it all the time. Sometimes my son will catch me staring at him, and he says, "Daddy, Woody, why are you looking at me like that?" I was like, "Buddy, I just love you. <laughs> I just seeing your face just makes me incredibly happy. Um, so thank you for being here. He'd be like, "You're welcome, Daddy. I love you too." I hug and I am a kisser, and not only am I a kisser. I am a lip kissing.
4: so You and David dad, Beckham.
3: Yeah, man. This dad will kiss his two boys on the lips as long as he can until they say, really, dad, I'm <laughs> 17 years old. Can you stop? I was like, if you make me, I will. But if you let me, I'm going to keep kissing you.
0: Well, Sterling, that was the last question, so you made it. We went on yes. this journey together, and all I can say is namaste.
3: Namaste, Joshua. Thank you very much, man. Until next time.
0: We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, TLC. And we'll be back with writer and director Steven Chabosky on the Fatherly Podcast Questionnaire Special. When your baby has a baby, it's all hands on deck. TLC's new series, Unexpected, explores the ups and downs of three pregnant teens who are all children of teen mothers themselves. Parents and grandparents must step in and help them through this huge life change. Tensions mount as everyone has conflicting ideas for what is best for the young parents and their baby. Don't miss the revealing new series Unexpected, Sundays at 10, 9 central on TLC. Stream live and catch up on TLC Go. Download the free app now. In his latest film Wonder, which he co-wrote and directed, based on a book by R.J. Palacio, the hero of the story is a boy named Augie. My own son's name is Augie, too, so the book and movie resonated deeply with me also because it deals with matters of kindness and compassion, rejection and resolve, things every dad wrestles with every day. Chbosky, who wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower in 1999, has also had a hand in some of the great Disney films of late, notably the live-action version of Beauty and the Beast, which I watch almost weekly with my sons. What I wasn't prepared for in the questionnaire is how much Chbosky's own background, growing up working class in Pittsburgh, affects his work today. But as you'll hear, he sees his work as a group effort, both stretching back through time to his father and grandfather and forward to his two young children who inspire and challenge him today. What is your name? Steven Chabosky. What is your occupation?
1: Writer and director. Age? I'm 47. How old are your children? Uh, My daughter, Macy, is five. My son, Theo, is two. Are they named after anyone in particular? Yeah, our daughter, Macy, that is my wife's maiden name. And we named her that to honor uh, her uh, father, whom we love very much. And uh, Theodore, I found his middle name, Frederick, is my father's name. And, and but I found, uh, I found the name Theodore by looking at what were the most popular names from the 1940s. And, and I hadn't heard Theodore for a long time, and I just loved it.
0: Do you have any cute nicknames for your children?
1: Uh, wow. That's a great question. Cute nicknames. Um, really, we just call them Macy and Theo. You know, she used to be nugget when she was really small. She was like a little nugget and, uh, and no, yeah, it's Macy and Theo. We we think their names are cute just on their own. What do they call you? Uh, Macy calls me daddy and Theo calls me Dada. How often do you see them? Every day, unless I'm traveling for work every day. Describe yourself as a father in three words.
0: Fun and patient. Describe your father as a father in three words. Fun
1: and impatient.
0: What are your strengths as a father?
1: I, I like to have a great time, and, and we play a lot of uh, games, and I like them to laugh, and, uh, and I like to make them laugh. And ultimately, they know fundamentally, I very rarely lose my temper in life at all, and almost never to them. I mean, they they have to really, they have to really pull out all the stops for dad to lose his temper. What are your weaknesses as a father? I think my one, one genuine weakness as a father is a sense of humor is so important to me that occasionally, uh th- my kids get away with very bad behavior if it's funny and so that's my one I, it's my blind spot i can't help it i know sometimes i should be uh i guess more strict or more formal but if macy does something inappropriate that makes me laugh i i i i crumble i i can't help it relatedly
0: what is your biggest regret as a father
1: my biggest regret as a father uh is is unfortunately unavoidable in our business. You know, making movies is a very demanding job and my regret is having to spend as much time away from them as I have, um, especially when I was directing Wonder. Um, There's one part of the movie that means the most to me uh, where you see little Via and it's her fourth birthday party. And that part means the most to me because my daughter plays little Via Uh, When I was making wonder, I missed her actual fourth birthday. It was unavoidable. And so I I was able to recreate it on film. So I could always say that I was always at every one of my girls' birthdays.
0: What is your favorite activity to do with your children? That is your special father and kid thing. Disneyland. What has been the moment you've been most proud of as a parent and why?
1: That's a great question. I think just recently something comes to mind my my daughter one of my daughter's best friends harper uh this poor little girl she fell off she was she was playing and she fell off i think a jungle gym or a wall or something like that and she broke her arm and she was incredibly self-conscious about the cast on her arm and uh and that my daughter knowing how much harper was affected by this told my wife that she wanted to go to the store to get Harper, a dress with a long sleeve so she could cover her cast and not feel bad. Um, uh, she thought of that all, all, all on her own, and I could not have been prouder. She's a, she's yeah. a, very, she's a very sweet and uh, very um, very sympathetic girl. So, yeah, she's great. What heirloom did your father give to you, if any? There are two things that I have, and they're not from my father. They're from my grandfather and they're from my uncle. Uh, my father gave me his father's watch, so I have that. My grandfather, um, whom I'm named for, he's, he was a steelworker. And yeah. so it was nothing nothing fancy, but it was the watch that he wore, and I'm very proud to have it. And, uh, you know, I, you know makes me think of my grandfather. You know, when I first started my career um, in, in regular life, I'm known as Steve. And I remember when my book, The Berks of Being a Wallflower, was going to be published, and I saw the cover art. I decided to put Stephen on the cover because I was named for my grandfather. My grandfather—he didn't finish eighth grade—and I thought, you know, for the rest of my career, my grandfather's name will be on everything I do. What heirloom do you want to leave for your children, if any? That's a wow. It's a very profound question. Uh, I, I think I think my wife and I both feel that that we would love to leave behind our body of work uh, for them um, as a family tradition. I also think that's why I put my grandfather's name on all of my work, because as far as I'm concerned, it's his work too. And it's my father's and it's my mother's and it's my sister's. And, and yeah, so I I think pieces of art It actually reminds me of something very beautiful that Julia Roberts did on set on the day that I um, was missing my, my daughter's fourth birthday. I was messed up all that, that day on set. I was incredibly sad. And, um, and Julia pulled me aside and she said, look, I can tell you from experience, because her kids are older. She said, I can tell you from experience, um, your daughter's not going to really remember her fourth, fourth birthday, but she'll always remember that her daddy made wonder. Describe the dad special for dinner. Dad special for dinner?
0: Tacos. I'm, I'm really great with tacos. Are you religious, and are you raising your
1: children in that tradition? Um, I'm more spiritual than religious. I was raised Catholic, and uh, so is my wife. So we will always identify with being Catholic. I don't know if we will raise because they're still very young. I don't know if we will raise them as religiously as we were raised, but I, but I, I do know that that you know, certainly Christmas and Easter will always be a part of the family's tradition and and, and proudly so. What is a mistake you made growing up you want to
0: ensure your children do not repeat?
1: I can't think of a single one because whatever mistakes that I made, um, I I was never I was always loved, and I was always uh, ex- accepted and respected. Despite those mistakes, I learned from them, and the mistakes were were actually, in hindsight, far more important to eventual happiness than, than successes.
0: How do you make sure your children know you love them?
1: Well, I, I think that that it, it's the tone. My kids, because we we share a sense of humor or a sense of play, uh, I think they'll always know that their father loves them because every time they need me to listen, I do.
0: There are many questions and oh, so many answers. You can read all of our fatherly questionnaires on fatherly.com. We'll be back after a quick word from our sponsor ADT with yet another question, this time answered by our science editor, Josh Krish. Can single women and married men be friends? Stay tuned. The Fatherly Podcast is brought to you by ADT. Home isn't just a place, it's a feeling the feeling that you're safe to enjoy the things that matter most. ADT lets you take that feeling with you wherever you go. Whether you are at your house, your business, or online, ADT helps keep you safe and secure with security systems, home automation, alarms, and surveillance, so you can feel at home wherever you are. Not sure where to start? Try the new ADT Security Starter Kit for only $49, including professional installation. Learn more at ADT.com. ADT, home safe home. And now for what they call the small print. Let me bump this up to 12 point. 36-month monitoring contract required. Enrollment in QSP and EasyPay required. Only in select markets. Done. So that's it for security. Now back to my own insecurities with the Fatherly Podcast. Can a single woman be friends with a married man? I don't know where to begin on this one except to say it's a big topic for a lot of people, me included, and I honestly don't know the answer. Part of me wants to say, sure, it's literally crazy to claim they can't be. That's some crazy Mike Pence, Handmaid's Tale, biological, essentialist, patriarchal bullshit. Another part of me, I don't know, I'm not sure, it does always seem to get complicated. I could just flop around in my confusion like a sparrow in a puddle of piss, but thankfully there's science, which uses studies, facts, and data to drain, disinfect, and sanitize the pee-filled puddle and transform the bird-brained sparrow into a majestic eagle of insight. At least that's a hope. And that's the idea of this segment, Oh Hey Science, where I talk to our beavered science editor, Josh Krish, to lay the data on me. Josh, real talk. Can a single woman and a married man be friends?
4: Yeah, they can be friends.
0: That's it? Yes, I'm free to go pursue whatever friendship, have long dinners with my opposite sex friend while my wife languishes at home with our children? That's fine?
4: To be more precise, it really depends on what you mean by just friends. So, as far as the studies that I've seen, there's been a bunch of them. One of the most prominent was published in 2012 in the Journal of Social and Personal Relationships.
0: Ooh, sounds like a page (laughs) turner.
4: It's the the right journal for this kind of study, Okay. (laughs) The main finding of this study was that people can be just friends, but not without there being a pretty regular undercurrent of sexual desire from one end or the other. In other words, yeah, you can be friends, but one of you kind of wants to sleep with the other one. It's unavoidable. In science, you tend not to say unavoidable. There could have been somebody this happened for. They're not going to rule it out. What they did find was, in a very large sample, they didn't find any case of somebody who didn't want to sleep with their friend.
0: And does science find one way or the other that it's usually the man who wants to sleep with the woman or the woman who wants to sleep with the man?
4: Exactly what you probably think already. Yeah. <laughs> Guys and girls are friends. The, uh, the woman is not particularly interested in anything besides friendship. The guy is very interested in taking things to the next level. Now, that doesn't by any stretch of the imagination mean that he will or that he even would risk his friendship for that. But when scientists, Or his marriage. Right, or his marriage when it comes to married people. When the researchers took the men and women into separate rooms and they sat down with the guy and said, if she was into you, would you be into her? The guy was like, yeah, I'd go for it. When they took the women into the rooms and said, if he was down, would you be down? She was like, not at all.
0: Right. I mean, this gets at something essential about men, right? That they always think that their feelings are reciprocated by the other party. Meaning, like, if there's a man and a woman in a friendship and the man is into her, he naturally assumes, which is crazy and stupid and Explains so much about what's wrong with our world, but he naturally assumes that she's into him.
4: Without the risk of overgeneralizing, it's not so much that a guy always thinks everybody's into them as much as it is that psychologists recognize the idea of projection. We tend to assume that everybody sees things the way we do. That's our default. So the scientists found this for both men and women in their study, men that were interested in the women, they assumed the women were probably interested in them, and women who were not interested in the men at all, assumed that the men weren't interested in them either.
0: So projection goes both ways. It's right. not just that men think that women are into them, it's just more often that men are into the women and then therefore think the women are into the men.
4: Right, so basically the men want the women, the women don't want the men, and everybody thinks that the other one wants what they want.
0: The other thing is, did any of these studies focus on single women and married men? Because I feel like being a married man presents its whole a whole other range of complications about having a relationship, friendly relationship with a woman outside
4: of marriage. This same study that we just talked about, they had two parts. The second part had 250 adults, and according to the study, a lot of them were married. Not all, but the majority of these 250 were married people, and they were brought into separate rooms to talk about their friends. So this is exactly the case you're talking about. We had several people in the study where there was a married guy who was friends with an unmarried woman, and they take them into separate rooms and ask them about each other. This part of the study, they did a little more interestingly. They asked, How bad would it be if something romantic started from this? Or how bad would it be if you found out the other one's into you? Young married men tended to rate this as the worst case scenario. It would be awful if I found out that my female friend liked me. This was the thought of most married men. And we can understand this, especially if they're embarking
0: young men. on this journey of marriage and they're psyched about it and they're young and they have six packs or whatever.
4: Do other young people have six packs? So I've been told. <laughs> but yeah young married men don't really want something romantic to develop on the whole with their with their female friends that they're not married to but as they got older that changed the older married men were quite interested in a friendship where the girl was kind of into them
0: it's just like someone think i'm
4: great like finally someone likes me
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's truly i'm laughing but that's truly fucking pathetic a little bit right Like We're so hungry as we get older for at least someone to see us as attractive that we're willing to toxify a friendship in order to get that.
4: Again, I don't know if we want to go as far as toxify because none of the studies really looked at whether they evolve into, at least none of the studies I saw, looked at whether these evolve into romantic relationships. What they looked at is if the occasion arose and the situation was right, would you go for it or would you not? And what they found overwhelmingly is that men, generally speaking, would go for it. The exception being married men who are young. But when they got older, though, the rates just skyrocketed. Uh, I'm looking at the study now. It, uh, it was 10 times. So men at the older end of the spectrum uh. were 10 times more likely to rate attraction in a friendship as their favorite part of the friendship. Like, what do you love about this friendship? She's into me. They were 10 times more likely to say that than the younger married guys. One of the other
0: results that I thought was really interesting is that there's a correlation between having a cross-gender friendship and lower um, satisfaction within your existing romantic relationship.
4: Yeah, the scientists didn't speculate as to why that might be, but it sure is interesting. It looks like, especially when you get older, middle-aged adults who they said on the whole were married. So for married people, not just people who are in like a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, but like old married couples, if they have a close opposite sex friend- that tends to make them less satisfied in their married lives. That should be some cause for concern for married people, I guess, who have a significant other who has a very close friend.
0: It also seems like that should be of a concern of a gentleman who is married who's considering pursuing a friendship with an opposite-sex person. The way I look at it a little bit as an opposite-sex friend who finds you attractive and that's really important for you is always this little bird, this little note that, hey, there's something out there. There's another option.
4: Because obviously they like something about you.
0: And you leave the door open. And when you leave that door open, you're not satisfied with what's going on in your own home. The thing that really, I think, maybe troubles me or gives me pause about this is I do fundamentally believe men and women should be able to have friendships. If I cut myself off, I'm a married man. If I cut myself off from friendships with single women, first of all, that just seems on its face exclusionary and sexist. And second of all, I'm depriving, I mean, it's narcissistic, but I'm depriving myself of all of these voices of all of these wonderful individuals. Surely the cost of marriage can't be closing your eyes to the world to that extent.
4: Sure. And that reminds me, there are a bunch of important caveats to all of these studies, especially the one that I cited. Caveat number one is that this only applies to heterosexuals, so people who would, in theory, be interested in each other. Thing number two, which is very interesting, they specifically asked college students to come in who had opposite-sex friends, but they had a specific list of what it meant to be a friend. And it's not just somebody that you get lunch with occasionally. They wouldn't even allow them to bring in somebody who they met and were friends with because of a group project in class. The idea being that it's not true that a man and a woman can't collaborate together, certainly not. Or they can't work together, or even have a work-based friendship that they enjoy spending time with each other because, they, right? Like the, I don't know. When it, at work some point, work pushing it, 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 yeah. At some point, it gets too close, maybe, especially with the word "wife" in there. But the idea that men and women can't work together, or can't have cordial relationships, or can't spend time together, especially within the context of class or of work, that's not what the science is showing. What the science is showing is that if your closest friend, the person you totally unload on all the time, that this is the person you're discussing your deepest, darkest secrets with, going out regularly with and this is your best friend, and this is an opposite-sex friend, there's a strong likelihood that somebody in the equation has romantic feelings, even if they're romantic feelings they never would bring up, and there's a strong likelihood that if you're a married person who's not getting enough appreciation at home, you could begin to desire something outside of your marriage from this very close friend. So it's not exactly saying, that's not really saying at all, cut off your female friends. What it's saying is that if you have a very, very close female friend, this is your best friend, and she's single and you're married, And your marriage isn't going great, it might be time to pause and think about what exactly you're hoping to get out of this relationship and what she is.
0: It's a really tough balance. It's not a balance. It's just a concept to understand you want something and it seems like it's going well and there will be a cost to it even if you don't see the cost. Even if the thing, the friendship, whatever, seems totally appropriate, it's not. And you can fool yourself into thinking it is, but even what the science seems to be suggesting is – you know, you're kidding yourself.
4: And sometimes it's not the worst thing in the world to kid yourself, you know? If if two friends are going to be close friends who support each other all the time and really fill voids in each other's lives and there's a romantic undertone but nobody ever goes anywhere with it or even mentions it, it's just in their heads somewhere, and that's the way the friendship goes from beginning to end, it's hard to say that that's a, that that's a wash, right? That's not a bad deal.
0: No, but I would be interested to see if there are ever any studies <laughs> that are about like... How many close male and female friendships with an undercurrent of romantic love don't develop into some sort of inappropriate relationship?
4: And I could totally understand if 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 my wife or if, if your wife wasn't totally cool with us having incredibly close single female friends because they would recognize that that's uh, that there's a likely undercurrent. So I can understand them. Pushing and also, back generally,
0: it. men just tend to think that everyone's into them. So yeah.
4: And everybody thinks, everybody thinks what they think. (laughs) I think that's a larger
0: problem, but it's a good place to end it today for, oh, hey signs. Thanks, Josh. Welcome to the Fatherly Endorsement, where we tell you something that we think you might like because we like it. This week, we're talking about Pixel Play. As I'm sure you've experienced, smartphones last about two years. That's the average length of time that someone keeps their smartphone. And even after, like, you get a Pixel, immediately another Pixel comes out and you want it. So what do you do with your old phones? Your kids want to see your phone. Simultaneously, they want to take pictures with your phone. Pixel Play is an amazing device invented by a longtime game designer and new father named J.P. Stoops. Basically, what it does is adapts your old smartphone into a working camera for your kid. They can't do anything else. They can't play other games. They can't break it. It's child protected. But they can take pictures. And they get the sense of what it feels like to hold a 35 millimeter camera, which, as we all know, is not going to exist when they're, you know, adults, probably in like five years. But for now... It's a wonderful device that allows you to feel less bad about getting rid of your phone after 2 years and it gives your kids the ability to take really cool fun pictures and have screen time without becoming zombies. Pixel Play launched as a Kickstarter in February. It's already fully funded. It's already going out. It's in production. They cost about $25, which is I mean, I guess it's a lot for a hunk of plastic, but not a lot for giving your kids Endless hours of fun and weaning them away from, you know, videos and making them into photographers. So Pixel Play, you can get it at pixeltoys.com. I recommend it. I have it for my sons. So they love it. You might like it, too. Well, that does it for this special edition of the Fatherly Podcast. Be sure to check us out next week when I have a candid and provocative conversation with the legendary writer Gay Talese. Today's episode was produced by Kelly Kramer and Dan DeZula. Special thanks to Augie Heerenstein for being a wonderful son and the vocals, and for Kyle Forrester for being a wonderful friend and the music. We'll see you next week, and until then, stay cool, Dad.